You're listening to TNM Coaching Unplugged. TNM Unplugged features the diverse perspectives of a thriving global community of coaches, leaders, and experts. And it's all for you. Hi, everybody, and welcome to TNM Coaching Unplugged and Zoran Todorovic Interconnected Podcast. Uh, welcome, welcome. This is the space when we elevate together. We elevate our heart. We elevate our soul. We elevate our mind to the next level and beyond. This is the space when you get inspiration. And today we're going to look into how do we connect and interconnect with ourselves? You know, what is the that yearning that we have inside of ourselves to connect and how we can explore this connection and how we can deepen our connection to ourselves, to our world, to our planet, to consciousness, to galaxies, to multiverses and beyond. And I have a very good friend, Bruce Perry, joining us today. Some of you know him. For people who don't know him, Bruce Perry is an English documentarian. He's specializing in indigenous uh, rights. He's an advocate for indigenous rights. He's also author. He's explorer. He's a leader. He's also former Royal Marine uh, as well. You know, so he has this multidimensional expression <laughs> of himself. You know, he's a multidimensional being with many many facets to himself. And you will know him from BBC tribes that some of you watched. I watched them again and again and again with my family, and and I've learned so much from him throughout this. Uh, last 10, 15 years since we know each other. So welcome, Bruce. Glad to have you with us today. So nice to see you, my friend. Yeah. Thank you. So what I would love to start with is open this conversation into something that I'm observing and noticing nowadays is that, uh, especially as the backdrop of pandemic, a lot of people feel this level of disconnection to themselves and they're looking for a connection. They're looking to connect to themselves. They're looking to experience themselves on a deeper level. And I wanted to start by exploring your experiences in being with tribes and and what did you learn from them when it comes to their connectivity to themselves to the community to the nature and beyond so this is the big open question so let's dive into it. <laughs> let's just go there thank you buddy well you know i it's it's lovely that you asked that because that is the one word that i use more than anything else i mean that is the single biggest difference that you will experience if you live with an indigenous group is that they have a sense of belonging, a sense of connection, and that sense of connection and knowing who you are in relation to yourself, in relation to each other, and in relation especially to the environment that supports you is, is a huge part of how I think they feel more calm and feel more um, at ease and at peace uh, inside. And, and it just plays out in so many aspects. And I've got to be careful just at the beginning here, not you know, it, there's a danger in being very generalistic about tribal people, because, of course, the, every group that I visited is very different and they're all unique in their own right. But there are some commonalities that you can pull out, I think. And one of them is this connection, especially connection to landscape and, and the strength of community and how important that is. And it's really very different how we've chosen to create our lives. So not to be generalistic, what is the tribe that you spend time with that you felt mostly connected to and you experienced the deeper connection to the environment themselves and the world around them? Yeah, well, actually, the further you go back in time, if you will, um, the more connected we were. And I think that the, the groups who are still nomadic and still living in the forest in a way that we all used to do before before agriculture, so the nomadic hunter-gatherers, 
are to me the sort of the epitome of the most connected people that I've come across in my travels. And that's probably how we all were, all of us as a species, for the vast majority of our time on this planet up until agriculture. So when you go and meet groups like that, you really realize, oh, wow, this is what it can be like. This is how you are in the sense of an intimate understanding of the environment. Uh, so you, everything you get is from that which is around you, and you have an intimate uh, wisdom and knowledge of how to how to collect and how to get it. So, not forgetting that hunting and gathering is also a form of meditation. So, like they had a daily meditation of being present in the moment, so that they could catch the monkey. You can't be drifting off in your mind somewhere else if you want to go hunting likewise when you're foraging it's very different to agriculture very different to farming you have to be present and aware of where everything is and i think this also is a big part of how they're connected to themselves because they're in their bodies and in their senses and they're and they're on a daily basis it's a practice but it's not a practice sitting on a cushion which is what we've learned to try and get back to that place, but they have it already in, innately because it's part of their daily life. It's part of how we evolved as a species that we've kind of lost in the last 10,000 years. So it's a routine. It's something they're doing daily on a daily basis. They're being basically in connection all the time. And they, through yeah, that yeah. repetition, they're deepening and deepening connection. They're not doing what we're doing in Western world, practicing stillness and silence and sitting on a cushion, as you said, and meditating. Yeah. And trying to steal ourselves to feel that connection. This is something that is natural because they're yeah. part of nature. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which we are too, but we're part of nature that's kind of forgotten. <laughs> We've become disconnected. And I really like the work of Ian McGilchrist, who's someone that featured in the film that I made recently. And uh, he talks about the left and the right hemisphere and how they're out of balance. And we seem to be operating very much from the left, which is the, the way that sees the world in this disconnected way. And and when you can reconnect to the right, which a lot of these healing modalities and spiritual practices allow us to do, drumming, meditation, plant medicines, all these sorts of things, they allow us to rebalance the hemispheres, come back into the right and feel that empathic connection. I mean, we're going to use that word a lot, but there's no other one that, that does it so well. But that's when you feel connected. You go on a meditation retreat, what's one of the things you describe when you come out? It's like, oh, I feel more connected. Well, that's what these guys have on a daily basis. That's what they're feeling. Mm -hmm. When you were spending time with them, how did that connection feel in your body for you? What was the sensation that you experienced when you plug into that, let's so call the feel of connectivity, yeah. they're yeah. facilitating and practicing on a daily basis. What was the feeling like? Well, it's interesting you asked me that because, um, you know, I, of course, I get a sense of connection in my daily life, I get a sense of connection with many of the tribes that I've met. But the, but the one that you've asked me to talk about specifically, which is the Penan, which is the last group that I met, the ones that really exemplify this, mm -hmm. um, I did feel an incredibly different sensation in my body when I went to meet them. And it was, it was an, a number, I mean, I've thought about that for years now since, and I've done a lot of work on what, what that feeling was, because it wasn't very obvious at the time. It was just a different sensation. And a big part of that uh, is something, as you know, you've heard me talk about before, is because they didn't have competition and hierarchy in their space. So there was a part of me that wasn't sort of 
that was that's normally comes to bear in every situation, which is where do I fit in the pecking order in the status? And it just there was no place for it there because there is none. So that was a big part of it. But I think the other part was the fact that there was just this sort of what feels like an empathic field. You know, they they, they have no walls. There's no huts with walls or anything. They're all just living in their in their um, in their little platforms that next to each other. So every emotion and every um, debate or argument or anything is is public. And so it, all the rest of the community are observing it. And uh, and what you what I noticed was that this group is one of the, and I now know is actually the case is one of the most peaceful groups of people on the planet. And all of these egalitarian groups like this, the pre agricultural groups, are known now to be the most peaceful people on the planet by the ways that anthropologists test these things. And so what you have is this sense whereby a lot of the strife and the traumas and the difficulties that we have which kind of get doubled down and especially passed on to the children and all the rest of it in our four walls where there's nowhere for the kids to escape in this space of openness the kids just go next door or they just go play there's just there's so much freedom that there's that they're they're not caught up in that um in that sort of negative energy field and so what you have instead is a sort of dissipation of all the difficulties and like like I say in the film, a problem shared is a problem halved. And so you find there's a sort of sense of tranquility. And that's one of the big things that I noticed in my body was just how peaceful, how peaceful it was and how it felt like there was people were attentive and there was this empathic feeling of like your well-being is my well-being. Your health is my health. Your happiness is my happiness. And that was a really tangible feeling and obviously incredibly beautiful. And is that something innate that is just happening by itself? Or are there a certain level of conscious awareness when, when you say, my feeling is your feeling, my well-being is your well-being? Is that something conscious in relationship with those with Panan? Or this is just natural byproduct of, of that freedom and yeah. space and, sure. and, and no walls? Yeah, that's a beautiful question. And, and and if I was to just go and visit the Penan, I would have imagined that it was innate because you don't see them um, doing anything other than just abiding in this space. And, you know, and I know people uh, and I've read of people who've spent decades living with these people. You know, the very famous um, um, activist Bruno Mansa lived with them for, for a decade and he never saw an argument once. You know, there's another group that I know of in in uh in southeast asia that apparently have no no violence at all in their culture it's like seen as a, when it's so rare it's seen as some form of of mental illness and so this is an extraordinary thing to get your head around that humans can live like this and this isn't just small groups this is like vast swathes of people there's still you know hundreds of thousands of people living like this in in certain areas so one so so to answer your question initially i thought this was the nate but then when I started speaking to the anthropologists who know about this much more, who spent much more time with these people, they're like, no, 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 Bruce, you're seeing, you're seeing like a skilled performer <laughs> may doing something that looks like it's, it's like it's natural and it's skilled and it's like it's just second nature. But actually, there's an incredible amount of work that's going on behind the scenes at all times 
and actually to live in this type of society is incredibly um, needs a lot of work. And there are certain tools and techniques and methodologies they use to maintain this. So that's sort of more the political side of the status and stuff. But as far as the as the loving and the giving uh, and the sort of gift economy side, what I saw with the Penan, it felt like they just all bought into this idea that the well-being of the group is the most important thing. And so I've got to do my bit. And so everyone always feels like they're slightly in debt to the well-being of the group and so that and and there's a beautiful feeling that comes from that it's like you we all know anyone who's been to burning man sorry to throw that ridiculous awful example in but anyone who's been to a festival like why not but anyone who has been to a festival like that understands that the people who have the best time the people who spent the longest bringing their gifts to share and it's that sense that you can get for a week in the desert you can actually get for a lifetime if you mm. were lucky enough to be born in with Penan, because that's how they're existing. So, so there's some of it that is really feels very innate, and there's other bits, maybe the more political stuff that that's, that's quite a lot of work. Um, but uh, but for us, you know, I mean, that's the big question. Yeah, a lot of work because it means untangling so much, and it means it means re- re- changing so many of the narratives that we have in our minds about what brings happiness and what brings contentment and what brings success and what brings happiness and all these things. We've got them almost going the completely opposite direction, and that makes it quite a challenging idea yeah. to the world. Adventure. So if you were to untangle, you know, the Western mind, so to say, let's say that, you know, you're in a position now to tell us in this podcast, you know, and here is what you need to do to untangle, to process, to recreate in order for you to experience that level of peace and contentment mm-hmm. and, and uh, tranquility, so to say, what will be your take on that? What is necessary for us to do or be in, uh, in this juncture of our evolution? Well, I'm trying to write about this now because it's not simple to just put it into a into a strap line. So, I mean, the strap line would be read my book, but that's that. That's great. We're going to do that. <laughs> Absolutely. But, uh, but that was more of a joke than anything because that's obviously slightly, uh, yeah. that, that comes with. Uh, but one one frequency, one dimension. That, I know this is a complex question because it's it's interconnected. Everything mm-hmm. is. But one thing that you feel as a frequency or as 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 a modality or as something that we can be inspired to do in order yeah. for us to let go. I think, of this. I think for me, there's a sort of logical progression as far as how it is that we can really re-engage with this kind of wisdom. Mm-hmm. And the logical progression starts with just acknowledging. And then even believing that it's possible, because right now we've we, it, it seems so far away that to, that like a, a a truly harmonious people as societies of people just feels like well that's impossible because I've never seen it. I don't mm-hmm. see it in nature, and I don't see it in, in in anyone I know. So it feels impossible, and all the stories we have now are telling us that the way we are now we're going in this beautiful direction and everything's you know but like it's so knowing that um we can live in harmony and that we and that, that some people aren't just born bad and that some people aren't just born aggressive and that actually we have the capacity to choose to create any type of society we want and for the vast majority of our time as a species we chose to live in really very relative harmonious ways up until we got into the game of ownership and power and hierarchy and stuff, which has only come about 
in the last 10,000 years. That's not to say that those people are um, living in utopia. It doesn't mean that they don't have problems from time to time, but on the vast scale of things, they mm. are... They don't have chiefs or shamans. Or there's no hierarchy. And that gets rid of so much of the stress that we feel on a daily basis, which is all about status. Where do I fit? Mm-hmm. How do I, do I need? I need this so that I can out-compete with this person. All of those things that are going on for us on a mm-hmm. daily basis. Why we're eating the planet on our gerbil wheels. So we can just have that thing so that I can be happy, so that I can get the job to get the girl to get all of that. It's just not, it's just not present there. So that's a huge thing. So to know that's possible is the what first one. And then of course, um, the next one is we then we've then got to do the inner work. You know, we've got to do the inner work. And that you you could then also go, well, well, that that's a, that's wishful thinking, Bruce, to get the whole world to do the inner work. But it doesn't have to happen with everyone overnight, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's what I'm trying to write about now is this kind of is a, a root plan. You, we have to have groups that can show that this is possible and that that can spread like its own virus. It's like, oh, wow, I'm, you know, I'm doing all this crazy stuff and these people are having a whale of a time and doing none of it and seem to be actually happier. Um, why don't I try and emulate that? And so those, the idea will spread and can spread. And technology today is really helpful in mm. spreading ideas. And also things like blockchain is really useful in, in forming trust. Trust is a big part of this. Yeah. And so we can dissolve parliaments. We can do all sorts now, which we couldn't do before. So there's, there's you know, there's a really interesting and special time. But, uh, but it starts with knowing and believing. And then it goes into healing. And then, the, and then there's a number of principles that I'm really interested in. Um, decentralization, um, hierarchy, and uh, ownership and competition that we can start working at. I mean, it doesn't mean you have to give everything away overnight, but you can start believing that actually the more that we grasp hold of things, that actually the, 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 least, the less happy we are and the less beneficial we are as a community member. Um, and that, that, you know, giving is loving and sharing works and, and coming together. You know, it's like, I think coming back to this word um, connection, Zoran is really vital because the other thing that I really noticed is that the the groups that had the most connection, the least walls, the mo- the more intimacy, were the ones who were probably the most harmonious and probably the most happy. And yet, look at us in our world; it's almost like we've become so successful at doing and getting exactly what we want, but what but we're just now waking up to the fact that what we want isn't good for us at all. It's like we've all broken into the Swedish shop and we're all dying of diabetes and like we're stuffing ourselves and going, isn't this great? But I'm just really, really sick. And I think that one of the reasons we're sick is because we all want to have this independence and this freedom and this and this uh, isolation and separation. And I want to have my own house and my own big walls. And I don't, and then we end up lonely in our personal house. space. Yeah, personal space is the big one. You know, the personal. Now I have my personal space. Who is going to intrude my personal space? That's the yeah. And one of the reasons we like our personal space is because then we don't have to look at our shit. Exactly. And exactly. it's like, that's what you find in a community like that. It's like, no, Zoran, especially if you're all equal. In our society, we've got such hierarchy that I don't tell you if you're the boss, if you're the landowner and you're being a dick, I'm not going to tell you that because you have more power than me. But when we're all the same, I can stand toe to toe to you lovingly and go, mate, look at your behavior. 
and we can work that out together. But that's terrifying for so many of us because we're all so wounded and we've been in this game of power and hierarchy and status for so long that so many people are very successfully hiding behind their addictions and their wounds to power and aggression and greed and all these things. And they're untouchable. And not only are they untouchable, but so many of us look up to them and like they're the they're they're the be- they're the business. They're role models. Like, no. yeah, they're role, role models aspire to achieve to Unbelievable. be unbelievable yeah. we've flipped yeah. everything on its head and then yeah. you go and live with a group like that and go oh that's how we can all be happier that's how we can all not only be happier but also perhaps be more resilient and mm. and have a chance of making it through you know mm. uh, with a smile because ultimately they are i and this is this is a gross generalization but i genuinely think that they are having more contented um, lives and they lo- definitely laugh on a more daily basis. There, there's something else going on there, and we're like, we're, we're kind of sick. Yeah, and that's that's a kind of distinction between happiness versus joy. Because what you're explaining as well, this joyful being that you're happy without any reason, just mm-hmm. being happy and feeling that frequency of joy in your body on a daily basis, mm-hmm. and needing something to make you happy, which is more of the consumer society, and keep on acquiring whatever you think you need. Sure. That temporarily creates the sensation of joyfulness, but then it becomes obsolete next day. So weird, isn't it? It's like the pursuit of happiness in and of itself is clearly a false dream. It's like you can't pursue happiness. You can pursue something of meaning, and then from that you can deride your happiness, Mm -hmm. something that's worthwhile, and that's that's okay. That's great. But like to pursue happiness in and of its own right is like genuinely leads you to less happiness in the long run, in my understanding. Viktor Frankl made that point really clearly. He was the, uh, he was the psychiatrist at Auschwitz, as you know, and like his book, Man's Search for Meaning, he pointed out, sometimes you need these really extreme examples in order to make the point, but it's, and it's, uh, you know, it is obviously a horrible example to bring up, but he does make the point clearly that anyone who's, whose meaning in life was themselves in that place anyone whose meaning in life was to find happiness is their number one thing that's their drive clearly weren't finding it there they can't because there's nowhere to find it and so those people were miserable but the other people whose meaning in life was something bigger than them the group the religion the family or something not about them those people could find happiness in the most unlikely of places because it wasn't about them and i think that's the other thing that the tribes I've noticed, um, especially when I was with the Panan, one, and this is a line that you, was used in the film. It's like my friend Aral said to me, look, I don't know about planes or cars, but if it doesn't last forever, I don't want it, unlike the forest, which will last until the end of time. And what I took from what he meant by that was like, he doesn't, it's not that he doesn't think planes and cars are cool. Of course he does. But if they interfere with the thing that his, his, where his gains his most meaning, which is the well-being of his children and the future generations, then he doesn't want it because it doesn't bring him as much happiness as the thing that really is where he finds his meaning in life. And I think that obviously we all love our kids, but we don't act like we do if you compare mm-hmm. it to that. Because that's a really, and that's not him making a sacrifice. That's just him choosing where to find his greatest happiness. And that's a really big thing to take on board in our life because obviously we've got so much self-gratification that we want to fit in on a daily basis. And, and, and that's it. We're, we are very self-centered in comparison to these people. 
And in some ways, I think that that self-centeredness is probably just because we're deeply lonely and slightly unhappy and we're just filling the void of our loneliness with all this stuff, you know, the shopping and the needing and the running around and the flying and all the right. It's just like to keep me moving so I don't have to be with my inner unhappiness. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not saying anything you don't already know, but it's really, it's really beautiful when you can compare it to groups of people like you. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And learn, you know, because for me, the fascination was uh, with the tribes was always that people were perceiving them as primitive in comparison to our society and, and less evolved. And then when I begin following you and learning from you and, and understanding the work, you know, then for me was, you know, the awakening of how advanced they are, actually, when it comes to certain simplified principles of love and being and living that really creates that deeper level of joy, connectivity, beauty. And and living together in a community. Well, it's interesting that word primitive is is like obviously primitive, uh, which is a word that anthropologists and and sort of uh, environmentalists and and advocates for indigenous wisdom will, will hate it because it sounds like it's a negative word, and so we should never use the word primitive for tribal people because it's primate like. It means you're like the other apes. It's like it's really derogatory. But funnily enough, it's the subtitle to the book that I'm writing. It's like reassessing our primitive ways. And the reason that I use that title <laughs> is because that's not the title. It's the subtitle, the, the, the book title I'm still working on. But, um, but it's like, because in actual fact, if you imagine that all the great apes all were alpha male, hierarchy, aggression, hiring of women, fighting off, da 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 And then what I've learned from my time, especially in the Congo, living with the Benjeli, who are another egalitarian group, who have a, a ritual that I took part in, which was the, the, the reenactment of the moment that the women came together and said no to the alpha male and invited the other men to come and live with them in, in harmony as a species going forwards. And so if that is truly a reenactment of that moment, and this is coming from the center of the Congo, it's like possibly the oldest narrative reenactment uh, you know of our species it's mind-blowing when you get your head into it but anyway if that's true and that we did then spend all of this time as egalitarian societies which is without this aggression and hierarchy and competition in many ways what we see now in the last ten thousand years is more primate like mm-hmm. than those people who we're looking down on so we are the primitives. We've gone back to our more deep animal instinct, the, the exactly. aggression, and yeah. they actually transcended that and were successful at doing so for all of that time. It's quite possible that this period we're in now, which is going back into the fighting and the warfare and competition and the hierarchy, is going to bring us to termination. And so mm. who's primitive now? Exactly, exactly. And it's, it's amazing when you see it from that perspective, right? How they manage to transcend that and move from that and innate that in a certain level, and we're still trapped inside of it. So what you were saying that the way for us to relate to this and the way out, so to say, is that first of all, we need to believe that harmonious societies are possible, right? And then we need to heal. So tell me a little bit more about your perspective of what do you believe we need to heal in order for us to be able to harmonize more and then to connect a bit more again with ourselves, the nature, the environment, the community, and so on and so forth. I think that 
so many of our wounds come from very young age. Uh, this is nothing you, you you don't know yourself. You know, there's so much evidence to suggest that the time in the womb and the time in the early months and years of life are where we really particularly are susceptible. You know, as we stood upright and the hips narrowed, we give birth to relatively premature offspring that can't do it, which is probably why the women came together to say no to the alpha male, because they needed a hat. You know, previously they they would give they would probably have gestation periods for longer but as we said we had to give birth prematurely so this is all part of our evolutionary step that's brought us so many blessings but also brought us so many curses because we should be in the womb which is protected but we're not we're out and like in a tribal setting you all of the things that should happen probably do happen and all the things that shouldn't happen don't happen but in our setting especially the family nuclear family so much of that is misunderstood and it's and and so that's where a lot of our wounds come from is because we're not in community you know so it really does help to have community and let go of the stress of the parenting so a lot of the work that we that we need to heal is from that time and a lot of that stuff is precognitive it's like it's like pre-verbal and so voice therapy and 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 it 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 can help, but it's just putting a lid on something. Really, the best therapies for this type of wounding, um, some of some of these woundings we don't we're not even aware of, other than yeah. we have a negative voice just being, you know, yeah. saying negative things to ourselves, like self-loathing and all this sort of stuff, all comes from this separation anxieties and all of these things happening because we're because we're not getting the support we need as parents, you know. We we it's as simple as that. It's not that anyone's doing a bad job. Everyone's doing the best they can. But but it's really, it, it shouldn't be done with just one or two people. It's like, you know, it needs a group. And so we're just waking up to that now. And uh, and so the best type of healing for that is the somatic, deeper healing, I think. And things like meditation, things like plant medicines are really good at that. But I think that just to add on the, on the surface to that is like, yeah, all of these, all of these healing modalities, of which every religion has one, every spiritual yeah. tradition has one, you know. And and when you first go and get one of these huge experiences, whether it's in, in sitting on the cushion or drinking from from the vine, it's like you have this huge, often have a huge awakening and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And my word of caution there, on top of that, is like that's wonderful and that's great and carry on doing the healing um, we can talk more about that in a second but but be aware of not just swallowing the whole pill of whoever it is that gives you that stuff because that's where the danger comes because that's yeah. when you start joining allegiances of cults and religions and all of it what religions being cults and da, da, da. so it's like yes get the healing but remember the wisdom of the people in the forest is what i say because they're the ones who really are living it I don't see anyone else really living it. And um, and so, yeah, use the healing, get in there deep, but be careful of the narratives that go with it. Mm. Yeah. Be more mindful in integrity, follow your inner voice, you know, be, you know, uh, you know, practice discernment as well is what you're saying is that really really understanding what you're getting yourself into do some research don't just just jump and expect yeah. but i think that the necessary step for all of us is to heal and i think that this healing it's extremely important especially right now 
in the last two and a half, three years behind us, we understand right now that we do need to heal, you know, even the things that we don't know. And I love that you're putting it back into the birth, into the family, into our need to work as a collective in the community in order to bring up our children. And, and everybody's doing their best. I mean, anybody who's parent knows that, you know, I'm doing my best. My best is not good enough. Why? And, and sometimes we get disheartened because of that. But what you're saying is because simply the environment and the circumstances, how to bring up the family and children and everything else needs to be in a collective and then it's much easier for everybody else. So we need to look into those core wounds as well and heal that in order for us to be able to be more connected to ourselves, right? I totally, totally hear that. Yeah. And that's beautiful. And I think that, yeah, you know, the hardest work, it's hard enough coming into work with one person, into relationship with one person, let alone a group of people. And so there's a lot of work that needs to be done there. So much of that will be around resentment, jealousy, and 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 all the things, because we're living in this disparate world where people have more and people do different things. So it's like, how do we how do we bring that back to harmonize it so that we can? Because we mm. also I don't might not have the same shared values as my neighbor. I don't want to have my neighbor come around and and so how do we work that out? How are we going to come back together and and agree on the same set of values so that I can happily have interchanging parenting with my neighbors and all the rest of it and it's like and that's that's a really big task and maybe some of that is making the leap into more intentional type communities or maybe it's just doing the work in your community but how many people today live and they don't know their neighbor and they're and and the kids are screaming and shouting and it's like it's chaos it's like it's no surprise that we're doubling down on the wounds and look at what's happened in this time of covid it's like for some of us who've had the privilege of knowing that you can meditate your way through triggers and you can meditate, you know, that you can, there are modalities that you can use to, to reconnect with your loved one and then go over that argument again in a more loving way and come to some agreement. But that's a, these are privileged insights that many people still don't have. And I don't know what the true cost of of this period of time that we've just been with is on society because a lot of it will be actually a re-traumatizing and exactly. we really have to get the word out and we really have to um you know begin to work societally it's like and, and it's good that weirdly probably for the wrong reasons i think money is probably leading it but the but the plant medicines are beginning to resurface those tools for therapy you know look at north america they've already decriminalized and legalized in a number of states and you know where i live in the uk we're miles away from that but it's coming and so and it's coming because it works mm. so imagine that you are in a situation that you sit in a galactic federation of, of love and light and you're part of the galactic federation of planets and um you're representative of, of human species and you're sitting in this council at this juncture in, in the time and you're debating and discussing what do we do? Mm. What do we do right now? How do we move forward? How do we create this most positive future for ourselves? How do we facilitate connection to ourselves? How do we gain the connection to everything? You already mentioned a few things, but you know, I would love you just to use your Im imagination, yeah. your futuristic way of thinking and being and just in your best ability tell tell me or tell us what do you feel we can do what can we put in place in order for us to unfold this further into some kind of positive outlook for the future definitely well no you won't be surprised to hear that i've thought about this a lot 
Yeah, I mean, as I said earlier, the first step is awareness. And so we need to somehow get these messages out. I'm, I'm trying as best I can, but I am often just feel like I'm on. Be nice to have some support. I, these messages need to be heard. And with them, not only is it that this works for us and we've done it for so long, but it's not, it's not just an energy, a genie that's left the bottle that can never get back in. But there are certain methodologies and tools and narratives that we can reconnect with and, and learn from and then try and apply. And then if we are able well, firstly, if that if that if that messaging can do a good enough job that it's like it becomes like the idea that time has come, you know, as they say, is nothing more powerful than the night. It's like, oh, that makes sense. Not only does it make sense logically, but I feel it in my body that this is why this is why I'm feeling like this. This is why this is happening to me, and this is a, a solution. So, if that if that if that can come about, then you then the next step is like, okay, so what are these tools and techniques and methodologies and narratives? Mm-hmm. And how can we apply them locally and also more widely? And and that's when if you take on board things like actually we are much better when we're decentralized. We are much better when, you know, what one of the one of the things that the tribes know, the egalitarian tribes know is that any time that power gets stuck or coalesces or ossifies in a certain place and it doesn't flow and move, then it that will always lead to corruption. And we see that in every aspect of our society and life. And we've just kind of given up on it because there's nothing we can do because the power is so strong that there's it's un, unassailable. We can't get near it. And so but but we can now if people are willing to believe that the, there is a better way. So like we, for example, and this is just one example of many, but like something I've got excited about recently, it's like if people can understand that decentralization is a better way of being, where we where we 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 don't want to have all the power in the middle, because at the power in the middle, it's like we know what's happening is that the corporations are paying off them and they're making decisions for the benefit of them so everyone's getting richer scratching each other's backs and the rest of us falling by the wayside that's not working so we have at the moment a thing called representative democracy and the reason that we have representative democracy is because it's never been possible for us all to have a say at the same time it's just ridiculous to think that in the british isles 60 million people could all have a say at the same time because that's just an impossible thought but it's not an impossible thought anymore because the technology's finally arrived we have direct, this is called direct democracy. And it's weird that it's not even talked about because what it is, is actually it's just pure democracy. Now, I mean, I happen to think that democracy is just one step on the pathway to something much better, but it's not a bad step to have real democracy. And we've been so instilled in our minds, no, 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 we have to have the elites making the decisions for us because they're the ones who know best. But we know what that leads to, especially through this prism of having known what the egalitarian tribes know. It's like, no, what it leads to is, yeah, they make okay decisions, but they also look after themselves and their friends and no one else. So how do we get away from that? Well, actually, the, the, you know, with blockchain, which is a form of trust, so that the, 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 the books and the films that come out have to explain exactly what this is and how you can trust it. And then for the old ladies who is, and the old men who are sitting at home who've never heard of it, don't want to know about it, it's like, talk to one of your 
grandkids that knows about this that you trust and get them to investigate it and like get just get involved in this get involved in learning about it and sure enough if it's open source and it's created then there are things that can start to begin to happen um, whereby we can start creating voting platforms which uh, you have this other thing that's out now called proof of personhood whereby you can show that you are exactly who you are and so you can have your constituency could be created whereby only people who are who are already in that constituency can have the conversation and that we can come together and then we can and then i for example because you don't you're not going to fight the existing power so mm. you have to try and find some way of joining into it using the existing system so i could stand for election with an app there's a long way of making a short point, but like I could stand for election with an app, which has got this new technology that everyone now trusts and believes in and understands is fair. And I say, mm-hmm. right, vote me in. And then when I get there, um, I will do whatever you say on a daily basis. Not, I'm just invisible. Just I will just go to the center. And then if enough of us go there, we'll dissolve the whole thing. And then on we go. And so I, there, there's a lot more to that because obviously there's a lot of people I can imagine listening to that thing feeling how naive that is or how there are many pitfalls there are but uh, that's why i need to write a book about it because when you start bringing these ideas into the reality of today people mm. come up against their own experiences of oh no that won't work that won't work that won't. yeah and that's why in a way i think the principles have to come first so you go okay yeah. well if i buy into this principle and that exactly. makes sense then mm. i can understand that this even though it's going to be problematic even though it's going to cause some short-term hiccups for sure mm. uh, if if we can believe that we can if you can believe in humankind that's what you need to believe in uh, half the time when you have these types of ideas people go no but i don't trust the people around the corner because they're stupid but that's where we've got to and that is the problem yes. because actually i believe and trust in people because i've been to societies where there aren't the evil corners and the stupids. And it's like, no, people are, people are acting stupid because they've been dumbed down. We mm-hmm. all have the capacity to live together in harmony. And that's the thing to hold on to. And half of these blockages of, of opening up and trusting and inviting is because we've, we've, we're so disconnected. And that brings us back to the beginning of the conversation. We're so disconnected. Thank you so much for that, because that's the glimpse into the future. And the reason why I've asked you that question is just for us to see what is possible right now, because especially in these times, we're all looking for inspiration, possibility, positivity, because we want to create, co-create positive future. I, like you, believe in humanity, and I believe that human beings are capable of harmonious existence in coherence. And that we all inside ourselves have, have this beautiful divine essence that wants to live like that. But we got sidetracked a little bit, programmed a little bit, damaged along the way, you know, put into certain boxes, live in a system that is not really supporting us to be that. And then we have the outcomes that we have right now. But it's good to know there is a possibility for us to create through democracy and in that way to really create more harmonious society. Thanks, buddy. Well, can I just add one final thing as a, as a, I know, I don't know how you're doing for time, but um, just the last little bit is like, if, if that idea there going forwards needs to be held in the same container as a memory that there's no one outside of this, 
And so if if one feels threatened by these kinds of ideas, this isn't a revolution that is about the guillotine and the and the, and the sending away. It's like what I learned from the from the tribes, especially the egalitarian tribes, especially the women in the egalitarian tribes who are the most powerful force there when they come together, is that when they tease and joke and laugh at the guys, it's not to exclude them. It's until they laugh at themselves so that they can come back in and join the collective. And that's what it is. And so this, these ideas, even if they feel threatening to people who are successful in this world as it is, it's not to try and it's not, it's not full of hate and anger. It's just here's a better way and we're going to dissolve you back into the mass. And that includes us dissolving ourselves back into the global mass. It's like we've got to harmonize the whole planet and mm-hmm. as well as our localized societies, because we're all in the game of being the super rich. And, the, you know, it's like uh, I can look at the person and we're so we're so used to being a victim and pointing at the other person. But of course, we're the one percent. We are the two percent. You know, we are. And so we have to also remember that we're part of the problem, too. And so this isn't about highlighting and pinpointing Blaming and shaming blaming. and blame. It's like it's like yeah. we've got to change the system itself, mm-hmm. not just all this anger and aggression that comes with people that we think are the problem. And that exactly. that would be my final uh, sort of addition to that. So, in case it feels a bit aggressive, because it's not. No, no, no. It's it's for me it doesn't. But you're absolutely right. It's good to talk about it because it's it's progressive. You know, it's what needs to happen, what wants to happen. So, just to kind of wrap it up for for everybody, connection. That you know, one of the first things that you shared, you know, from the tribe, especially from Penan, is that ability to be part of the whole and ability to understand that you are there to contribute, to give back, you know, to to share unconditionally yourself with others, and that sense of giving and contributing really gives us this inner sense of joy and peace that we're actually looking for. So one of the things that we can start with is thinking about how can we give more to ourselves, to the society, to everybody else, to cultivate that inner joy, that inner peace that comes from that giving, and then healing and becoming awakened and moving on. And then also looking into the future from the positive outlook and seeing what is my role, because I think everybody has a specific, unique role to play in this evolution of society. Nobody is insignificant. We, you know, we also tend to believe, who am I? I'm a little human being in a little human, you know, life in a little human room, you know, I can't do anything. And what you're saying to us, that once when you activate this power of knowing who you are, stepping into contribution and giving, then you activate yourself to become a a member of society that is uh, there to share and give and evolve. Yeah. Couldn't have said it better, my friend. That's beautiful. Yeah. Bruce Perry, thank you so much. Yeah. We can, we, we're looking forward to more. You know, this is just one of the first <laughs> podcasts. Thank you for coming and sharing your wisdom. It was always enlightening. Thank you so much, everybody, for coming, for listening, for being with us today, and for choosing to grow and for choosing to heal. And by listening to this, that's a choice as well. Thank you so much, Bruce. Bye for now. Bye.